Today on the podcast, we are going to continue with this series on Romans, going verse by verse all the way through the book of Romans. Welcome to the Youth Apologetics Training Podcast. Welcome back. Like I said in the introduction, uh, we're going to keep going with this series on Romans. Uh, Now, I told you last time when I released the podcast several weeks ago um, that a massive change in the ministry has taken place. Many of you guys know, and maybe some of you are new to this, but I am no longer with the company that I was with before, so I no longer have to uh, put... 40 hours a week into uh, that company. Uh, What does that mean? That means ministry all the way. Yes, I'm doing this other business that I started on the side, but the point of that business is to work a little and ministry a lot. (laughs) And so uh, that's what's been been going on. Uh, The last couple weeks uh, have been busy trying to tie together all the loose ends and and get myself and my family positioned for this new future. Um, but, but yeah, I am ministering, uh, uh, doing uh, sermons at a Calvary Chapel in Berthoud, Colorado. Calvary Chapel Berthoud. If you guys are ever passing through this way, come and visit us. Uh, I'd love to uh, see some of you guys show up. That would be a blast. But anyway, all that to say, as far as this podcast is concerned, I am going to get back to uh, cranking out podcasts on the content that you guys fell in love with and you started listening to this podcast because of that content. And that was uh, talking about uh, actual specific topics in the realm of worldviews and apologetics. So I am going to get back to that. I have a feeling my very first podcast in that realm Getting back to it is going to be with uh, Jason Oaks, the pastor out of Roundup, Montana. (sighs) Every time I say that, I always want to say the statement, can anything good come out of Roundup, Montana? (laughs) Ah, Jason. Uh, I'm trying to talk Jason into moving into Colorado. It won't happen, but uh, I keep bugging him about it. Anyway, I'm going to have him on to talk about his new book, um, Sharing Jesus with the Cults which um, is awesome. So uh, look forward to that. That'll be the first podcast I do back in the realm of apologetics. And I'm hoping to record that probably within the next seven days is is my plan. That is the mission. Also, my mission is to uh, be cranking out at least one of these podcasts a week. Good grief, Mike. Come on, man. That is the plan. In fact, I'm hoping actually that I can even crank out uh, some weeks, even two if not two every week. That is the plan. Once I get my head totally screwed on straight, which is I'm I'm starting to get there now where uh, I can now um, focus on the podcast, which is is my passion, guys. This podcast 
and um, pastoring this church, Calvary Chapel Birthed. Those are now my new passions, and I'm getting excited. So anyway, this is a sermon that, no joke, I recorded months back, or, or rather preached months back. Um, you will notice in this one, one, uh, the audio quality is, is fairly quiet. We've been having one technical difficulty after another. And uh, when this sermon was recorded, our recorder glitched on us. And this happens a lot. I don't know what's going on with this recorder. Um, in, in fact, this last Sunday that I taught just a few days ago, the audio levels were adjusted. We were noticing that things were coming out really quiet. And when we turned these audio levels up, uh, the recorder did not split the tracks like it's been doing. Um, so I think that might actually be it. We'll see. So we might have fixed both audio problems at the same time. The split track issue and the way too quiet issue. Uh, either way, this recording and some of the uh, next sermons that you're going to hear had the same issue where it split my 45 minute to 50 minute sermon into like 75 short little tracks. <laughs> so, uh, it is what it is. Sometimes when those tracks change, you'll hear a little pop or something like that. I tried to edit all the pops out, but I don't think I got them all. I'm sure I didn't get them all. Anyway, I have blabbed but on for five minutes, and I really Romans. should get We're to gonna this cover podcast. So, with that, let's go ahead and jump in right in. So we're going to be in Romans chapter 3. So, we're in the Here book of go. Romans. A uh, little bit of review on Romans. Uh, it was written somewhere around 55 to 58 A.D. during Paul's third missionary journey. Um, he wanted to visit Rome, but he never got a chance to. Uh, he had an offering that he had to take to Jerusalem, and so that was what he had, he had to do next. Then he was going to go visit Rome and eventually get to Spain. But as we find out as we read further in the book of Acts, uh, yeah, Paul does eventually make it to Rome, but not as an official mission trip. He uh, shows up in chains. Actually, I don't know how that looked, but <laughs> he shows up in chains, which actually amplified his witness in, in strange ways, as we saw as we studied through the, the book of Acts. He had a soldier chained to him the whole time. So uh, as you can imagine, now he can preach all he wants, as loud as he wants, and no one's going to throw a rock at him at that point because he's got a soldier next to him. So he had his own, his own security detail. Um, so anyway, yeah. Uh, Book of Romans, uh, he wrote this letter to these, this young church because none of the big boys of the faith had been there yet. Peter, James, John, nobody had been there as of this point, and uh, they didn't have any official writings that we're aware of. So he's writing to this church, and he's trying to dispel all the myths. Now, a lot of times we read the Book of Romans, and seriously, the first the second, the third, the fourth time I read Romans, I was like, oh my goodness, I have no idea what he's talking about here. It just seems like it's so heavy. Uh, it, it, and, and what I'm endeavoring to do is make this actually a lot easier. And really, as you read through Romans, I might oversimplify it a little bit, but there's a lot of questions and then answers. He's dealing with a young group of believers, but you can tell a lot of them come from uh, Judaism. And so they're carrying a lot of ideas from their Jewish faith and they're going, okay, I, I believe Jesus died and rose again. 
and I, I think I'm seeing elements in this in, in the Old Testament, but I got a lot of questions because this is just, this is way too much. And so their minds are exploding. And he's trying to explain to them what's going on. And, and in this, he, you know, there's a question that he anticipates, and then he answers it. And he brings them, skillfully brings them back to their own scriptures, quoting one scripture after another from the Old Testament, and really tying it all together. It's awesome. So anyway, Romans really isn't that hard. You know, we all have questions. Questions like, uh, can someone be saved apart from Christ? All these questions that they were asking apply to us today, even now, even though they were asking it from more of a Jewish perspective. Can we be saved apart from uh, uh, the law? Can we, as a believer, are we supposed to follow the law? What about if we sin? Does that make us unsaved? You know, uh, do I need to be circumcised? Do I need to be baptized? If I'm saved, should I be doing the good works that are found in the Bible? Do I need to do good works in order to be saved? So many more questions. The whole book is loaded with questions. So, um, to understand Romans, because there are so many um, sidelined or or, mm, spinoffs of Christianity out there. A a million different spinoffs, okay? Of course, we all think of Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, these types of things. There's even lots of spinoffs of the Judaic faith, you know, uh, the faith as our foundation. Uh, even Islam is kind of a spinoff of that in, in certain respects. If we understand Romans, we're going to be able to anticipate a lot of those uh, situations. As we encounter people from these different faiths, we're going to be able to give an answer for the hope that's within us with meekness and fear, right? We're going to be able to defend our faith better when we understand Romans. So it's just so important. We started Romans chapters 1 through 3 as a little bit of review. Paul was showing that everybody is a sinner. The Gentiles are sinners, the Jews are sinners, and none of us can measure up to God's perfect standards. All fall short of the glory of God, right? There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. And then he moves into the good news in chapter 3, verses, I think, uh, 21 through 31. He gets into justification. And that is what happens when we first trust in Christ. We, we place our full trust. And, and we're going to get a little more in-depth as to what that really means today. But we put our full trust in Christ. And at that moment, we are saved. If we get hit by a bus at that moment, we're okay, okay? Then a process starts called sanctification. Uh, he's going to get into that in chapter 6, 7, and 8. But today we're going to get going into chapters 4, uh, into chapter 4. And chapters 4 and 5, he's going to dwell on this idea of justification for a while. Because this is a concept to the Jews, it was, it was kind of confusing. Is it taught in the Old Testament? Is it not taught in the Old Testament? We're going to find that it is. But uh, it's something that to most of the Jews at that time, under the leadership that they, they were under, they were not seeing that. And so Paul skillfully, he brings them back and shows them just that. So we start out. Uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to reread the last verse of the last time I spoke. Uh, this would be Romans chapter 3, verse 28. So go ahead and open to that or scroll to that. I look down at my mom, she's scrolling. <laughs> or she's texting somebody. No, I'm just kidding. I can see. 
well, that better be Jesus over there. Um, so, verse 28, Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. And so, that's where we stopped last week. Do we have to follow the law in order to be saved? No. But we're going to continue on with that concept today. And uh, we're going to finish the whole day kind of going through this because this, this can get pretty deep. This whole thing of the law, works, justification, sanctification. How does this all work? One moment a Christian thinks they're totally saved and if they die right now, they're good to go. And then they read another scripture and they're like, I, I'm a mess. I'm not saved. You know, and so we need, we need to get deep on this. So moving on, verse 29, he says, or, or, or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, the Gentiles also. Since, okay, and here's, here's where this uh, Jewish reasoning is going to come in and say, wait a minute, what, what's going on here? Since there's one God who will justify the circumcised by faith, speaking of the Jews, and the uncircumcised through faith, Gentiles, do we then make void the law through faith? In other words, if both Jew and Gentile are both justified by faith, are we now making the law invalid? We just kind of like, eh, we don't need that anymore. And then he says, certainly not, in the New King James, exclamation point. On the contrary, we establish the law. Okay? Wow, that's really cool sounding, but I've been tripped up by that verse myself. We establish the law? How? What, what do we do to establish the law? And by law, what do we mean here? Okay, because as we venture through all the laws that we find in the Old Testament, there's moral laws, okay? Don't steal, don't kill, don't lie, don't smoke, don't chew, don't go with the girls that do. Okay, that's not in there. <laughs> but, you know, all these things that we really shouldn't be doing, don't fornicate, don't practice witchcraft, uh, you know? I could go on and on. Adultery. Uh, don't take the Lord's name in vain. All these things. Idolatry. Um, should we be following that? In order to be saved? No, but yes. As Christians, we should be doing that. If we screw up there, which we will, does that mean we're not saved? No. And as we continue on, we're going to see that. But should we be doing that stuff? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's follow the moral aspects of the law. What about... Um, and, and again, this is not a salvation issue. It's, it's an issue of obedience. Let's love our God back. He said, don't do that. In fact, you look in the New Testament, and most of that is repeated there. To, to the new Gentiles, the Christian church, it's repeated. So yes, we should be trying to live a very upright moral life as much as possible. And you know that's where sanctification comes in, because we do mess up, right? I mean, some of you more than me, but you know... Um, <laughs> Um, but what about, okay, uh, the dietary aspects of the law? Should we be doing that? What about, like, there's some dress code issues in the law, not wearing clothes with uh, different types of materials in it? I know some, some women, and I know some men who would lose their mind over a law like that. <laughs> That'd be really hard to do, okay? Should we, uh, what about the ceremonial parts of the law, the sacrificial system? Should we be doing that? Right? So there's, there's so many different 
pieces and parts of the law as a whole. So um, one thing we need to recognize is that the Torah, you know, that law, although it applies to us in so many different ways, it originally was given to the Jews at a specific time in history. And so some of it, it applies only to the priesthood. Some of it applies to the Jews as a nation as a whole. And then there's also other aspects that really do apply to us. So we, we got to look it through, break it apart, and understand it. But again, rewind. Do we, do we have to do any of this to be saved? No. I just want to make that clear. And I'm going to keep making it clear the whole time because... We get tripped up on that sometimes. There's so many movements that get tripped up on that. So, um, in fact, you know, to, to make this point, Acts chapter 15. Um, I covered this, I think, in my Galatians study, available on Sermon Audio. I put it up on Sermon Audio, so if you look me up, it's there. I did a study on Galatians on Wednesday nights, and um, there was a situation where a bunch of men came and started sharing this, uh, uh, a legal, legalized legalism version of Christianity that they had to, Gentile believers, had to be circumcised and follow the Mosaic law in order to be saved. And Paul and uh, Barabbas had a pretty sharp dispute with them. They had some, some heavy arguments. And eventually what it led to is Paul, he traveled to Jerusalem and they called a big council. And so all the big boys of the faith came down and they had a big discussion because in Jerusalem they were having the same problem. They called them the Judaizers. And so they were like, we got to talk this out. Do we as Gentiles have to follow all the Mosaic law? I guess most of them were Jews actually, but do the Gentiles have to follow all the Mosaic law? Do they have to be circumcised in order to be saved? And you read through this whole council, the chapter 15 is like this back and forth and Peter weighs in, James weighs in, and they get to the end. Oh, and the Holy Spirit weighs in, okay? The Holy Spirit is certainly there, and it actually, it does say that. It says that, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. So they, they get together, they have this heavy discussion, and what was the conclusion? It was, the conclusion was, we don't have to follow the whole lot. They did say, Avoid fornication. Duh. Okay. And, and that goes with all the other things. You know, avoid those moral issues that we always seem to get sucked into. You know, avoid that. And um, avoid meats strangled with blood. Well, that's weird. That almost makes you want to go back to the law. Wait, what's going on here? Well, um, that was a stumbling issue, especially in Jerusalem, where you had a, a high concentration of Jews. Okay, it's, it's, it's kind of like even what Russ talked about last week. There's a lot of things that aren't necessarily sinful, but because of the way they can be perceived in certain crowds or situations can stumble somebody. Whether they're an unbeliever or a believer, we have the ability to really stumble somebody. You wouldn't invite a Orthodox Jewish family into your house and then serve them a steak dinner with a tall glass of milk. Okay? That would, be, that would be something highly offensive. You know, you don't have meat and you don't have steak together. You don't stumble them. Likewise, if you're witness, witnessing to some Mormons, you don't serve them a hot cup of coffee. <laughs> you know? And it's, it's one of those issues. So, while, while, 
You have something to share? I'm just kidding. <laughs> so you don't stumble, people. You, you try not to do things that are going to either steer them away from your faith because they're like, I don't want anything to do that. Or if they are a believer, you don't want them to walk away from the faith because you're doing something silly. Okay? So uh, that's, that's what was being said there. But all that to say, if we Gentiles are supposed to keep all of the law this would be the time. I'm, I know this is an argument from silence, but the silence is screaming. If we were to keep all the law, this would be it. This would be the time in Acts chapter 15 where they would say, yes, get them circumcised. Time to observe the feast. This is how you eat. You know, the whole thing. The whole thing. But it doesn't happen. Okay, so what was Paul saying then? We established the law. What does that mean? Okay, um, this isn't a matter of disregarding the law or making it invalid, right? Are we just waving the law aside and, and saying, you know, we don't really need it? We don't need to worry about what that law demands? No. We know from the scriptures that uh, we look at Paul, we, especially when we look at Jesus, um, the gospel and what Christ did on the cross backs up the law. The law upholds. I'm sorry, I'm mixed, missing myself up here. The gospel upholds the law. The life of Christ honors the law and upholds the law. It fulfills the law. It establishes the law. How? Okay, the law demands perfect obedience. Okay? The wages of sin is death. Okay, and we know that we all fall short of that, right? The penalty of that is severe, okay? And it has to be paid for. Something has to be done about our sin. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without shedding of blood, there is no remission. No remission of sins, okay? And that's where we have the sacrificial system. The Jews would take a spotless sacrifice, this nice little animal, you know, and you know, the, the high priest would put, place his head, or place his head, place his hand on the head of this animal, confess sins, and then they would cut its throat. How serious would we take sin if we had to do that? That was still going on. But it took a sacrifice. Leviticus 17.11, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. And Jesus, he fulfilled all of that. Uh, he was the fulfillment of that sacrifice that would... See, these sacrifices of the Old Testament would temporarily cover sin. It would not take it away. But we see that the sacrifice of Christ took away our sins. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12, not with the blood of bulls and goats, sorry, goats and calves, wrong version, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once and for all, having eter uh, obtained eternal redemption. And so Paul uh, uh, and Jesus, they didn't consider the law something to just be waved, waved aside. 
that it was invalid. No, Jesus fulfilled the law in its fullest, okay? And so the gospel is not like a replacement of the law. It's an acknowledgement of the law. It is tipping its hat to the law. It's saying, no, something has to be done about this. You are breaking the law. You are sinning. There is a penalty. The good news, somebody paid it. Amen? So, moving on, we see that makes sense. We establish the law. So, then moving on into chapter 14, Paul, 14, chapter 4. My my brain is going slower than my mouth. So, uh, chapter 4, Paul starts dealing with um, this concept of, does the gospel agree Predominantly right here, he's speaking to a Jewish audience. And so he's going to pull out two people that they hold in high esteem. And he's going to pull out Abraham and David. Okay? This is really cool when you look at it and you think about what's going on here. Because he pulls these two out and he's showing them examples of, of justification by faith. Okay? Abraham, he was justified uh, uh, years before the law, centuries before the law was given, okay? David was justified many years, 300 years or so, after the law was given, okay? Abraham was justified before he was circumcised, long before he was circumcised. David was justified long after he was circumcised. See what Paul's doing here? He's, he's rolling out the two big boys, and now he's going to use them as illustrations of justification by faith. Really cool. So he starts out, verse 1, um, What then shall we say that Abraham, or our forefather, has found? Let me try that again, because it's a question. What then shall we say that Abraham, our father, has found according to the flesh? In other words, what did Abraham uh, experience according to the flesh, as far as justification goes? Okay. And, and that's going to kind of play out here as we keep going. For if Abraham was justified by works, he's, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Okay, so really quick, if, if you were at the ocean, as my wife and I were just a few months back in Hawaii, okay, and you find yourself in a situation where you're, you're drowning and you desperately need help, and a lifeguard comes along, maybe it's David Hasselhoff, I don't know, and he comes and he saves you, pulls you out of the water. Do you have bragging rights? Can you say, I had faith in the lifeguards, and man, my faith, you know, saved me. Do you have anything to brag about there? No, it was, it was David Hasselhoff that pulled you out of the water. You know, you have no bragging rights. Likewise, if we can't work for our justification, we don't have anything to brag about. We didn't do this. I mean, you can't be like, yeah, I got faith. You know, that's, that's not really anything to, doesn't make you look cool. It's not anything to talk about. So, verse 3, For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So what did Abraham believe? Well, he's referencing and he's quoting Genesis chapter 15. There's a situation where um, God visits Abram and he makes him a promise. He tells him that through Abram's seed, 
Abraham would be made a father of many nations. Okay? And so there was this promise. And Abraham believed it. Now, there's a little bit more going on here that's kind of fun to talk about because the same author of Romans, Paul, also wrote Galatians. And he says this in Galatians chapter 3, verse 16, concerning this seed. I think it's, it's worth mentioning. Um, he says, Now to Abraham and his seed, seeds capitalized. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, and that's all caps, who is Christ. In other words, according to Paul, along with this promise of being father of many nations, Abraham was looking forward to a time where one of his seed would actually be the Messiah, which is kind of a cool little side note. I thought I'd throw that in there. It's a little fun. But um, anyway, Abraham was justified by faith. So we see, right? At least that's what Paul just said. Now, according to many ancient rabbis, uh, in fact, there's one rabbinical writing that says this, we find that Abraham, our father, had performed the whole law before it was given. Abraham was perfect in all his deeds with the Lord. So we find that, that one of the teachings of that time was that Abraham actually did follow the law. So there's some stuff going on right here. There's, there's some budding heads. Now, we've seen already, and we're going to see a lot more, clear, obvious scriptures that Paul is trying to say here that we are justified by faith, okay? But this is where we come head, headlong right into James chapter 2. Um, because in James, it seems to say completely opposite. And so I'm going to read almost the entire chapter 2 of James, Turn to James chapter 2 real quick. You guys got to see this. Because this is one of those things that really trips people up. This messed me up when I first read it. And I had to go and talk to a pastor about it. So I'm like, this, this is, I don't get it. Like, what do we got going on here? Is this a contradiction? So, James chapter 2, uh, we're going to start in verse 14. <clears throat> okay. And he says, this is going to be a long one. He says, what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and be filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also, Faith by itself, if it does not have works, it's dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have works. I'm sorry, wait. I think I just derailed. You have faith and I have works, yes. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. And this is rough. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith, that faith was working together with his works and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith only, 
Likewise was, not Rahab the, likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Oi. <laughs> so what are we looking at here? What's going on? Well, as you, as you start reading through this, right away, you're going to notice that we got this, this kind of hypo, hypothetical conversation going on. You know, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, and it goes on. And so we're starting to get a clue that maybe this is a perception issue. Not so much that we're justified by works, but that this is something that's perceived. Um, and then he goes on. He gives examples of true and false faith, right? He starts with uh, an example of empty faith. And then after that, he gives a faith that is no different than a demon. That's kind of spooky right there. Stay, you know, stop right there for a second. In other words, you know, a demon knows God is real. Okay, so there's that assent, there's that mental acknowledgement. Okay, so you could say he has faith in God, but obviously he's not saved, right? See where James is going with this? And then he moves on and he gives two examples of, of people who lived godly lives and their works showed their faith. Okay? I think two uh, uh, Latin words are worth introducing here. And unfortunately, I'm not a Latin expert. I had to go online to find the pronunciation and I'm hoping I'm going to say them right. Let's assume that the website got it right. But the first one is Ascentia. And as I'm reading it, I swear it looks to me like I say it should be pronounced Ascentia. But Ascentia is what the pronunciation website said. And that is simply a mental acknowledgement of something. So it is kind of a form of faith. It is acknowledging something, but that's about as far as you go. Kind of like a Christian that says, I believe in Jesus, but you look at their life and there's nothing. I mean, you're just like, do you? Because I'm not seeing it. Or the other word, fiducia. And I'm pretty sure I got that one right. <laughs> and that is not just a mental acknowledgement, but it's taking it further. It is a full giving over to something. It is a trusting in something. It is a believing in something so much that it leads to works. And, you know, we, we all know people that make these claims. Essentia, you know, it does not lead to works. Fiducia does. Essentia is not of the heart. Fiducia is. Ascentia would be kind of like, if you believed in Santa Claus, just simply stating, I believe in Santa Claus. Fiducia would be like, dude, it's Christmas Eve. I'm going up on the roof to shovel the roof because I want to make sure he doesn't hurt his back. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Does that make sense? Kind of a crude example. But, you know, that's, that's the difference. I had a friend, um, I haven't talked to him in a long time, uh, but he claimed that he believed in Christ, that he believed that Jesus died, rose from the dead, died for his sins. He made a profession of faith, but nothing changed in his life. I think one time I saw him with a Bible under his arm. One time. I'm pretty sure he made it to church once. Okay, Other than that, there was no 
change in his life. His language didn't change. His actions didn't change. The way he looked at women didn't change. Nothing changed. He didn't seek out the truths of the Bible. He didn't spend his life or his time trying to grow closer to this God and find out what this God wanted. That would be an example of a sentia faith. That would be the kind of faith that I, I don't know. I don't know. God knows. But I'm not seeing the works in his life. Right? Conversely, there's, there's other Christians that you just see. They're, just, they're, they're always thinking about it. They're, it's, it's as if Jesus is standing next to them all the time. And they're always thinking about their faith. And they're trying to learn more about God. They're trying to do the good works that we see in the scriptures. And so what we're seeing here, and, and I, know, I don't want to steal Russ's thunder too much. I think he's going to be getting into this more next week. So I, I, I want to leave a lot of fertile ground here for him to play with. But what we're seeing here is that James is showing us <clears throat> that uh, uh, our faith is revealed by our works. It's like a barometer, okay? You can tell if someone's saved a lot of times by the works that they have in their life. So what, what type of works? You know, what kind of things? I mean, it, it can cover a whole spectrum, right? Uh, James gives an example of uh, helping a fellow brother or sister. You know, let's say we got, we got some people in our con- congregation right now that are going through some health issues, okay? That would be one example where the brethren and sisterin are gathering around those people and seeing what they can do to help, okay? Um, the gospel, do we all have that, that urge in our life to get out there and somehow take part in some way, shape, or form in getting the gospel out? You know, some of you might be like, yeah, well, I'm not really good at witnessing. Well, you know, then that's where you just got to learn how. Study, learn, try, test. You know, also there's ways that you can plug in and help others who are getting the gospel out. You know, for example... There's, this ministry is trying to get the gospel out. There's things that people can do to plug in and help this ministry to get it out. Okay? Um, you, can, you can use your time. You can use your money. There's all different ways that we as believers can use the talents we have to show works, to, to be plugged in and, and to basically show, in a sense, our faith. Now, again, I want to go back. We're not doing good works to be saved. Please don't get me wrong there. I just, I thought I'd bring up some examples because some people might be thinking, well, you know, what, what do I do? I, I want to do good works, I, you know. So I'm not trying to say, hey, you know, you, let's, if you don't have good works in your life, well, let's just work towards our salvation. Let's get good works and then we're, get, we're good, right? No, that's not what I'm saying. Uh, I think there's a lot of believers out there that are saved and there's just not much going on in their life, they're not really sure how to plug in. They're not really sure what to do. And so we need to be aware of that, okay? But anyway, I think that's, that's pretty much pretty much wrapping it up, you know? It's not our works that save us, okay? But our works do reveal what camp we're in, okay? If, if, if there's no evidence of the sanctifying work in your life. If there's no conviction of sin, there's no conviction that, hey, oh, I really should be doing something. I should be out there doing something to further the gospel. If that's not there, 
that's also an indication. And so when people are like, gosh, am I saved? You know, you, you look at that process of sanctification in your life. Do I feel convicted of sin? Yeah? Well, that's a good sign. Do I feel convicted that maybe I, I should be doing more works? Do I have a lot of works in my life? These types of things. That's what James is talking about um, right here. So uh, I've been quoting this scripture so many times throughout the study. In fact, I think I've quoted it every single time I've taught in Romans. And I'll quote it again today, but then I'm going to read the following verse, which is fun because I never read the following verse. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10 today. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So as believers, we should not only assent, acknowledge Christ, but we should try to live lives that are filled with things that show our faith. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you again for bringing us together together today and uh, teaching us out of your word. Uh, Lord, we want to show our faith with our lives. Please help us to do that. Help us to walk in a way that always blesses you as much as we can. Convict us when we fall short. Uh, You know, and, and Lord, may nobody walk away here today feeling like there's this whole new burden and that they need to be doing all these things. Lord, your Holy Spirit, please fill us and show us where we can do things and how we can show these good works in our lives um, in a way that would bless the world around us and bless you. Bless us as we go our way and uh, pray, Father, that you would continue to minister this message to us in our hearts throughout the week uh, as we kind of meditate on this and learn about it. In Jesus' name, amen. Sing it out loud.